You are listening to Reka Narrative. So today, today topic is about public transports and how things are going in uh, Malaysia, right? And we are welcoming, I welcoming Mina Zero, uh, representing Reka there. And we're coming to SM Sabi Ismail, as well or Fazli Fazil. So a bit Hello. of... Yeah, a bit of introduction about Cik Sabri. Uh, Cik Sabri is a former uh, top executive in Prasanna Group. He has been in the public transport business for the last 20 years. And currently, he's an independent public transport researcher. And for our young chap here, Cik Fazli, Fazil is currently studying diploma in UTM uh, in stud- uh, urban and regional planning. And also uh, one of the advocates of Transit Malaysia since 2019. All right, so without further ado, are you guys in healthy shape? Oh yes, Alhamdulillah. This is my first time on a podcast, so I, yeah, you can say that I'm a bit nervous, but hopefully I'll be, answer, I'll be able to answer your questions today. All right, perhaps maybe Fazli can a bit brief of what is Transit Malaysia. We are on advocacy for public transportation to, uh, to, to amplify the voices and the needs of public transportation users. We've been doing this for the past 11 years uh, since, uh, since the founders uh, Vulcanine and Moaz Ahmad. Uh, we, it, was originally, it was originally started with the, intention, with the intention of the government trying to decrease petrol subsidies and, to be, and that can be used for public transportation. Therefore, they started this group, this NGO, in order to pinpoint what are the problems and the issues that needs to be fixed in our public transportation system. Since then, we've been involved in projects like the Klanajaya Line extension, and currently we're also trying to and and ever since that we've also been trying to revive ourselves as back of the group because we've been active for the past few years. Um, we so yeah, that is a summary. That is my summary of what Transit Malaysia is. Ah, I see. <laughs> so, how many so far in this Transit Malaysia group? We've got like around uh, thirty people in our group at the moment. We, yeah, we've got 30 volunteers at the moment. Uh, it's just that we'll be able to accept more in the future, but only after we've get only after we've started to organize things. So if anyone's interested, do hit us up on transitmalaysia at gmo.com. If it, is it correct? No. Clung, no, I'm sorry. It's clangvalley.transit at gmo.com if you guys want to volunteer to sign up. So yeah. All right. Uh, and I noticed that you guys are quite active on Twitter with some infographic and promoting certain uh, public transport things in mostly in Clown Valley, right? Yeah, we are. We are. Uh, we are mostly active in Clown Valley, mostly because most of our, most of our disgruntled members come from the Clown Valley area. But we do talk about issues in Penang and urban plan and about urban planning issues for the for Malaysia in general. Right. So yeah. So, other than the big uh, metropolitan city, does Transit Malaysia like also cover or extend the networks of public transport across other states that not so big cities? We would love to delve into the issues of the smaller cities and states that are not mostly uh, vocal when it comes to urban planning. Um, it will be interesting, but at the moment, we uh, but at the moment we're mostly focusing our efforts on the Klang Valley. I understand. All right. So when talking about having more manpower to discuss and also to find out what happened on the ground, it seems like gathering a lot of information or data is a big thing now, right? And the word big data is a bit, uh, I think, 
common word now nowadays, and it's can it can also can be a jargon. So just to answer Jake Sabri, right? What's the situation about big data in public transport? Who collect the data and who compile it and who publish reports for the public to see and understand it? Okay. Um, big data in public transport is um, uh, is something that's always been done a long time. In the days, uh, they just don't call it big data at that time. Basically, the uh, two main areas that uh, public transport operators collect data on is the maintenance data because that is really the core of the system. All the assets may have to be maintained, the vehicles, the tracks and so on. And those uh, those data are critical to for warranty claims, for making sure that everything is in top condition and also for the regulator to ensure it is safe. So that's one main big data, the maintenance. Also, the operation itself, because that will be showing the service level, whether it is uh, in terms of the trains, where are the uh, trains uh, um, uh, servicing, at what time, the frequency, the headways, and so on. So that's the second type of uh, big data that being collected by operators. The third one is, of course, the fare control itself, the ticketing data. That, also, that provides data more than just the vehicle data because basically for the ticketing is the tickets are given for each train or each passes so it's uh, based on uh, based on the vehicle but the data uh, the the data for the ticketing can also inform us on what the passenger been doing for that particular train he may board at a particular station and uh, alight, alight at uh, another station that information may then be related, joined up with uh, information about the same passenger boarding a bus and then alighting from the bus, completing a journey that he did using a rail and a bus, which can inform the operator and also the regulator about the actual public transport service. That's about the main public transport data that being collected by the operators and the regulators. Some other overall data and so on are being published by uh, the regulator or the ministry covering the regulator, in this case, both the APAT and MOT, and they do publish data on the MOT website, on the, uh, their data, and also being now currently, recently, you can also find some of this data published on uh, Mampu uh, open uh, open uh, open data portal. Thank you. All right. So MOT Mampu. All right. So these are the main two, and MOT basically publish the report uh, to the statistic, right? Statistic reporting annual uh, reporting, right? Where they see how many people on board the rail, etc. I have a question about uh, pricing, right? So because as a, as a commuters, right, we don't really want to know about the maintenance, about how you guys do your data. So our main concern or appeal to write uh, public transport is always the first is pricing. Mm -hmm. And we always relate that to the quality of the service. Mm -hmm. So a uh, couple of years back, there has been lots of reviews of to increase the price of LRT. Mm -hmm. Right, and is the reason being by Prasarana or the the, the operator says that uh, 
high increase in cost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright. But somehow they are always publish so a lot sort of profit from revenues. In fact, last year, uh, Prasarana published that they make a few million quarter, I think about 10 million ringgit quarters and they spend the first million to build a new office. <laughs> uh, so, just want to know, right, uh, my point is that in the old days, during zaman bus mini, uh, orang yang naik bus ni, uh, they, buy, they beli that coupon, right? And I think mm. the bus writer men, uh, measure rating and based on how many people that write or buy certain coupons. Mm-hmm. So, and now we have touch, touch and go over a couple, a decade ago that you can just touch and go on the buses and the LRT. So, does the, the cashless uh, initiative is much better approach for the operator to understand or evaluate the fare? I mean, evaluate the fee, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the question is that by adopting to cashless society, right? Mm-hmm. Will those data that they get from those payment gateway or e-wallet operator in this case, Tashengo, right? The primary uh, card to enter LRT will be much better for them to evaluate the pricing in the future or will that be more, help them to f- more frequent price change? or become more, or more stable i'm okay. not so sure yeah okay um talking about uh, the differences impact to the operator of cashless against the cash ticketing system that we yeah. have okay in terms of data both the system whether you are using cash system or using cashless system both goes into the same ticketing data which is a ticket The information on the ticket is the same whether you buy cash or you buy cashless okay the information is the same which basically one guy buy it okay the only difference is you cannot link a particular if it is a cashless ticket this was previously for uh for real system we have a token somebody buy a token He enters a station, he exits a station, the information there both are captured. But if he then goes to an, uh, goes a second trip, when he goes, goes back, he buy another token, there is no information about whether it is the same person that do the morning trip and do the in- evening trip. Yes. Because it is totally different token. Yeah. Right? But the information detail is the same. Just that the linking of information of multiple trips is not available for cash ticketing. Uh-huh. So for cashless ticketing, the media is durable. The media is being used multiple times. So there is a link of the same media can be tracked. It's anonymously tracked because there is no name to the uh, to the media. So if somebody buy a touching ticket. Or buy a rapid KL ticket and take the train in the morning. The data is recorded of where he uh, where he uh, bought the station, the boarding station, the alighting station, and he, in the evening he uh, went home. Also the same, the boarding station and the alighting station is uh, is captured and recorded. But because he used the same card. Yeah, whether it's touch and go card or whether it's a myretic card or whatever other different card, it is a unique card. Then the unique identifier can be linked, and that is something that can be mined 
in terms of information. Okay. And yes, there is a bit of difference, but it is minor. So in, in general, the cashless and the cash system is provide the same level of data to the operator. It's a ticketing system itself determines how much data. Like when uh, at some point uh, early on, RapidKL only pro produced a paper ticket for a season pass, paper season pass. So it, it doesn't directly engage into the ticketing system. In that case, there is of course no data. Using a, a pass, they just go to the gate by just opening a gate. Now all the, um, there, there is uh, uh, no such manual gate anymore on RapidKL. So 100% of the customers are using the gates. So you get the information of all the customers. Does, did I cover all? Yeah, roughly, yes, correct. So the, the mining of the unique identifier allow the bus, I mean, the public transport operator to identify a user and then predict which trips or particular points of starting point or origin point is much more, I will say, popular for riders to, to start their journey, right? And where are the most... Uh, destination that popular right because yes. like we're talking about rails uh for example like rails uh yeah. they are much more easy to monitor because they are quite centralized but how about buses i mean how 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 do you uh, because i think this will relates to on how the bus routes uh, bus route or routes are being designed right okay for the bus the ticketing system is slightly different between mm -hmm. cash and uh, cashless for the cashless system for on all the buses. Now RepiKL, all buses are using cashless. RepiKL cashless buses now are using exa almost exactly the same basic system as the RepiKL rail, which is somebody using a Tashingo card, which need to tap in while when he aboard the, uh, the bus and tap out when he exit the bus. So the information about a uh, boarding, boarding bus stop and a lighting bus stop is also captured in the system. Okay. Previously, when rapid bus are using um, uh, uh, are using cash cash system, they when somebody pay, they produce a ticket. The ticket says uh, it's not uh, the ticket doesn't specify where you want to go. The ticket is only specifying how much which is how far, in general, about how far you go. So the information available on the ticket is which bus stop uh, some, someone alight, someone bought, sorry, someone bought this, uh, the, the system. So in that case, there is only one information, which is the, the boarding station, the boarding bus stop. Yeah, I have to cut you there. So, okay, uh, when so you then, say like boarding, boarding bus stop, right? Okay, so... I remember like whenever I ride a bus, right? Uh, because bus fare are based on section, all right? Yeah. Zones. So, zones. Uh, zones are section. So, they within one zone, there are like more than three to five bus stops on certain routes. Yeah. So, how does the bus or I mean the vehicle itself able to detect which bus stop that is more popular? Because 
the as you said earlier that when we go into the bus, we tap our card. Uh, it only attack the fare. So, yep. how do we know that which bus stop is more more popular? Okay, there are multiple things that you can do with the data because the ticketing data is not the only uh, data that you can make use of. You can also make use of the fleet tracking data, which is the location of the bus, how long it stops at the bus stop, how fast it moves from one bus uh, bus stop to another bus stop, and so on, and which route it was uh, using, and so on. So that is the fleet tracking information. Now, if it stopped long at a, a long time at a particular bus stop, that can indicate that actually there is a lot more passenger boarding. Okay, so boarding information can be correlated with also the ticketing. So if it stopped at a long time at the bus stop, and then you can see that the number of passenger boarded that station uh, that bus stop is a lot, that indicate that is a popular boarding station, boarding bus stop. And also, with now 100% cashless for RepiKL, there's a tap-in and tap-out information. So a lighting station is also now available, which means they can also correlate that with the fleet tracking information. Previously, of course, half of the almost half of the passengers are using Touch and Go, which have the tap, the uh, tap-in and tap-out. The other half using cash. So you can also do an assumption during the analysis that the uh, board, uh, the the um, origin and destination uh, profile is the same for the cashless and the cash, which in general it's quite a safe assumption. It may not be exactly the same, but it's not too far away. Clear? Yes, clear. I see. So fleet tracking and correct me firstly. Does uh, most buses in under RPKL or bus pattern now? Uh, the last time I I I hide I take a ride on the bus. Like I think about three four years ago. Uh, there's a information. Uh, it's a IVM right information. Uh, virtual machine on the on the on top of the bus driver that shows that we are at which bus stops. Yep. Uh, so that's, is that the fleet that Sabri mentioned just now? And currently, like, as I think you are quite uh, advocates right. on public transport, yep. right? Yep. So that's how, how equipped does those buses now? I mean, does all buses have that now? Uh, yeah, uh, I would say that most of the buses do have it, although there are certain buses, like for example, like the ones that Epic are currently trialing, like for example, like the vans and and some of the little smaller buses that they're currently trialing. But as for most of the buses, including like the normal Scania buses that you would see, or like or all of the MRT buses, they do have the information system on top of the bus. And that's also where you are able to actually be able to see where the where which bus stop you're at or which bus stop is next. And during pandemic, I noticed that you guys mentioned in your Twitter that, I mean, in Transit Malaysia Twitter, that there are almost eight bus routes has been closed. So hmm. tell me, me more about it. Yeah. Yeah, let me correct you. It's not eight. It's 13 bus routes wow, closed okay, for RPKL. So okay. um, there were, uh, when that happened, there were a couple of co- there were a number of complaints from passengers, including the, the one that was very vocal was this and there was this, la- this lady named Fika, and she mentioned that she always commuted between uh, Titi Wangsa LRT to her bus and Titi in if I'm if I, if I was correct if I, if I'm public publica she was working as a public servant. 
and the and she was protesting at the fact that how why why about how the PKL suggested to them that they should be riding the bus from Masjid Jamek to to Publica instead of getting from Titiwangsu to Publica and she mentioned about how the how the crowds at because it wasn't in bad pandemic she mentioned about how the crowds at Masjid Jamek were it was really the bus the bus at Masjid Jamek was really crowded and she mentioned about how it would be uncomfortable if everyone was forced everyone from that was riding the bus from Titiwangsu to to Publica had to move to Masjid Jamek and ride the bus from there and then therefore they had to go under more cramped in a more cramped bus which would be very uncomfortable especially during this pandemic um there um i've in our in the articles that we that we've been featured on we've also mentioned about how there are certain bus stops for example like uh, the 754 if i'm correct between shah alam and uitm puncak berdana which was closed down and unfortunately that was the only bus stop that was serving uitm puncak berdana Although most students at the time were at home, they were studying from home. But I will also. But the problem was that there, uh, that the students that were that have they are forced to go to campus and live there are mostly those who aren't able to have enough money to stay at home because they won't have internet coverage at their homes, maybe in the kampung kampung area somewhere. So they are forced to stay stay at their college, and those are the most vulnerable people. And because of that, they are unable to go to the city. In order to receive services, so they're pretty much just so when when UIT when Rapikl closed down to seven five four, it pretty much forced those who are unable to like buy a Grab or have a motorcycle or don't have a motorcycle, they just stuck there. Like they aren't able to receive city services. That's what I'm concerned about. And and it's not just that. The fact that even Rapikl doesn't give hasn't given any uh, any statement whether they will be reinstating the routes after the the pandemic. That would be a major problem when the students come back to campus, and I and that's one that's one of the examples of a bus of the the impacts of a bus route closure. I haven't mentioned about the other the other eleven bus routes that had closed down as well, which we which we hadn't researched on as much as we did with the seven five four and the and the public and the publica to Titi Wangsa bus route, but. I'm pretty sure that there are a couple, that 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 there's more adverse effects down there. So, so now for them to close down a route, it'll take them two weeks notice to tell people, right? So how can they get up? How does commuters are more updated about this? Will Prasarana app will tell you that the bus is available or no? Mm, <laughs> well. Um, nah, they wouldn't be <laughs> if they didn't know about the bus stop closing. Then perhaps they might be just sitting there and wondering, eh, bila bus aku nak datang ni? I mean, if they if they aren't if they aren't able to access the Facebook the Facebook page in the first place, then may, they probably wouldn't be able to even know something like they wouldn't be able to like access something like Google Maps or move it, which is what Rapikl is currently using. So yeah, that's one of the major issues with closing down the bus route very very early. Yeah, I mean, and they not even notice on that bus stop that it was closed, right? Because mostly right now people are, I mean, the operator just launch it on their social media, and for them, this is adequate enough, right? Some of the bus stops actually, Radical has posted posters on them showing that this bus, that this certain bus stop will close down. Uh, but uh, what I, what I do know from the Publica to Titiwangsa bus route was that 
some of the bus stops don't even aren't don't even have like the bus stop shelter. It's mostly just a little sign. So it will be impossible for Radical to like post a little little poster on those bus stop signs because they would be too small to fit in. So therefore, um, like if anyone was anyone like a like for example like a construction worker or a cleaner who had to come to who's going to Bukit Tunku because the publica to the publica to Itiwangsa bus stop goes to Bukit Tunku, which is an upscale location, but also commonly visited by maids and construction workers. Therefore, like if any one of them were to use this bus route, uh, they wouldn't be able to know because like there wouldn't be like a poster that's posted up on any of these bus bus signs. So yeah. I see. So when you say that uh commuters or I mean or saying that the operator are using Move It, right? So are they like, collaborating with Move It or Move It is owned by them? I mean Uh, uh, Sabi, would you like to answer? Yeah, sorry. When you say that just now that uh, most commuters can get information or bus route based on Movit, right? This and the the app, right? The travel apps. Right. Are you saying that Movit is owned by the operator or Movit is a third party that publish those data? Oh. All right. I'll answer this one. Yeah. Uh, no, Movit is entirely third party. Uh, they they are a multinational company. Uh, Rapikel is just collaborating with them to allow their information to be posted on the app itself. Same goes with Google Maps as well. I see. So movie. So anyone that uh advocates of uh, or love to get the latest updates on public transport, they can just go to movie lah. If they have a smartphone and if they if they know about the app at least. So. All right. Um, I see. Yep. Just a brief. Yes, I think just want to add about the. Uh, Uh, information to the users. I think the public transport information is not just via the online and via the app. One major one is if you notice that every bus stop have a poster at the at the back of the bus stop, apart hotline number. Why? Because then anyone can complain and can query about the services for a public transport to apart. So that's apart hotline. But for Rapid KL itself, they also have their own hotline, which is also posted onto the on their bus and other location. So, without a smartphone, you can at least use whatever uh, uh, whatever feature phone that you are using, the cheap feature phone that you're using. You can call the hotline number. In fact, at one time, that's about the only way that you can find a real time information of Rapid KL bus. You can call up the hotline. Uh, you can ask. When you are at your bus stop and ask when will be the next bus come uh, will be coming along, the hotline will be able to check their uh, fleet tracking system information and can either tell you where the bus are or where the bus that just left, whether the or the the next bus that just coming where it is located at the moment, or they can just they can sometimes also give you some estimate of. Or uh, the bus is uh, one uh, about two bus stop away, and will get to you in say five minutes. That is the sort of information that's already available. Now only they are putting that information into online, so that you can use the apps to be able to see the location of the bus stop. The user can see it instead of asking. The user can use the smartphone app to find re- actual real time location. 
whether using the smartphone app with third party like movie like google maps or using rapidkl own smartphone app which is now uh, for the new app they call it pulse so currently in Klang valley there are three different apps that you can make use of to find real-time information of bus and as well as schedule information thanks so there are a lot of apps and it seems that this app doesn't communicate with each other and everyone's like pumping their own information yeah so which one is the most useful app among these multiple apps that's very subjective <laughs> should we answer it on a personal basis yeah sure please all right um I mean, the most accessible one would be Google Maps because Google Maps is pretty much installed on almost everyone's phone because the penetration market for the Android market is like, <laughs> like 80% or something. So uh, if Google Maps is the most accessible at the moment, if I were to say from a purely factual standpoint. Google Maps, yeah? Right. So will Google Maps, oh yeah. So anyone that just put a direction, then they pick the bus uh, config or uh, selection of uh, travel as a bus then it will display the bus number yeah right. uh, it was it, it, it was it was something that even I even I as a movie volunteer had been trying to push me and a couple of movie volunteers have been trying to push RapidKL to accept Google Maps for ever since 2016 even I also believe that Sapri has been doing it for much more earlier than I have <laughs> for like the past 10 years so when RapidKL said that hey we're going to actually put the bus routes on, on Google Maps were like, finally, like, yes, finally, we're actually going to get, I'm actually going to know where my bus is going to come, in the, whether it's going to come in the next 10 minutes on the Google Maps app itself. I don't need to download some other wacky app that Rapidcare have developed themselves or something and waste my mobile space. When you say that Movit volunteer, I mean, Movit is a company, right, that display travel distance, travel time, and transport information so when you say why why do they need volunteers right okay um volunteers pretty much what they do is that they open up a platform okay before that i might want to yeah move it is i want to introduce what move it is so um move it is pretty much like a public transportation app uh, like ways where you know as in ways you can uh, like for example like ways you try you can like communicate about any delays or any abruptions in public transportation services uh, as a user and it will then automatically relate to other users as well same goes with uh, yeah that's uh, that's pretty much move it and move it and move it also has this function called move it editors so where uh, where a volunteer is able to like add any public transportation routes into the app itself <laughs> yeah and yes move it is a company they they pretty much like make use of us volunteers to pretty much make money for themselves. But in return, we do, um, in return, because RapidKL has not updated their, because before this, um, before this, before 2018, as far as I know, RapidKL has never uploaded any of their information onto an open source service like Google Maps. And even if they do, it will probably be outdated information and, and, it, and it will be just plain wrong. So, um, as so, so the reason why movie needed volunteers is because, well, they needed people on the ground to do to do things. And and for me at the time when I joined as a movie volunteer, 
I looked at, our, at how terrible our public transportation information here was and I said like, hey, why not I join Move It and actually try to gather information for myself and put it on a platform where everyone will be able to see it. So that is pretty much the function of Move It, which is making public, allowing the users to do their own research and collect public transportation information and put it out onto a platform where everyone will be seeing it in a more streamlined manner. That's it. Okay, can, can you repeat like the last sentence? Okay. Uh, sorry if I was talking a bit fast. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Move it. So, what, so pretty much what we do is that we volunteers pretty much do our own research. We track down the bus routes. We track down the bus schedule. We talk mm-hmm. with the drivers, all of that. And then we put them into the editor. And then the editor will then transfer the information into the app. And then the app with its very fancy UX and user information, they'll streamline the whole process for users to see public transportation information on the app. I see. All right. So, I mean, there's uh, hundreds of volunteers, right? And move it. Yeah, pretty much hundreds, but uh, there's like about like 10 active members. Okay. So how do you guys monitor bus schedule? Are you guys like spend time riding the bus or, <laughs> or how? <laughs> that was that was the way we how we did, how we used to do it uh, five years back. But okay. now with Google Maps and now with Google Maps and now that Epic is also collaborating with MoveIt, finally we don't have to do that anymore. But how we used to do it was that yeah, we had to go on the buses. We had to talk with the drivers. We had to know when we had to know their schedules and and track down which bus stops the bu- the buses go to. And that's the way we did it. And it was quite hard and even sometimes money <laughs> money spending as well and a lot of a lot of energy. We yeah. often have to. We of uh, some of us, I believe, we had to. I think I think some even had to like. Um, skip work if I'm if I'm correct but <laughs> it's something that we're, we we were dedicated in doing in order to make public transportation free for all free for all I mean that's the goal yeah. of transit isn't it public <laughs> transportation information free for Inform- all information free for all okay get yeah. it sorry uh, yeah speaking about free for all right uh, so they are like I think city council or state bus operator in terms of like smart slango bus yang allow or offering bus ride for free how does this impact the bus operator I think Sabri would be the more technical go-to guy if you want to answer that Sabri yeah uh, you're talking about the slango free bus and PJ free bus and oh, OKL yeah. free yeah. bus so these are the three main free bus in Clan Valley, right? Yes. Uh, op- the operators, bus operator, love them. It's free for the public, but it's a not a free service for the operators. So GoKL, uh, uh, DBKL pays the operator. It's a uh, it's a charter service. They rent the bus, whether the bus is empty or not empty, the, the operators get paid for it. Similarly oh. for PJ free bus, whether the bus is empty or not, as long as the operator proves that they serve the line, that they actually the bus actually goes through the route, PJ, uh, I mean, uh, 
PGA uh, CP Council pays uh, uh, Red PKL. And now I think PGA, uh, PGA bus, the free bus also include, I think, another operator, not just uh, Red PKL. I see. Uh, Selangor, so, mm -hmm. uh, Smart Selangor, similarly, they also pay multiple operators, including Red PKL, to provide the service that they are doing for Kelang, Shah Alam, and a few other uh, a few other districts. I see. So that's, do they like intersect or overlap the same bus route or they have different bus route? Um, basically, each of these free buses are by local authority limits, DBKL, so within, within KL. PJ, within PJ. The Smart Smart Selangor is also doing it by district or by local authorities. So you have a Shah Alam bus, you have the Kelang bus, you have a, a, a Kuala Selangor bus and a few other um, a few other districts and uh, local authorities. Also, if I'm able to add, um, there are also some in instances where Smart Selangor buses do travel with it to other districts, for example, like the KJ04 between Kajang to Putrajaya. So just mentioning that, I mean, it depends. I see. Yeah. yeah. In that case, in general, it's still, it's still basically Kajang service. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Kajang service. The destination so happen to be at the border. Yeah, they go, they go off to Putrajaya. I see. So possibly that the free buses and the paid buses overlap lah. I mean the route, right? I mean the route is overlap. Or oh, mostly they are not overlap. I mean that bus route is like a, a premium route that the operator had to pay the council or I mean how do you guys I mean how does this bus uh public transport operator okay assign uh, that? Uh I I would answer that on this end. Um uh, that any bus in order to to service a route will have to get approval from SPAD from APAD now nowadays from okay. APAD. So APAD have the responsibility of making sure if if there is any overlap, it is a necessary overlap. There are routes that overlap in certain sections. There are a lot of routes uh, 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 along federal highway that are overlapping along the federal highway itself. Why? Because uh, a bus from Banting going to KL, we have to use the Federal Highway. Bus from Portland going to KL also have to use the Federal Highway. Bus from uh, uh, Subang going to uh, KL have to use the Federal Highway. Yep, there'll be overlaps, but the overlaps will be necessary overlap. But how it is controlled? It have to. It is controlled by SPED. Okay, so APA is, mm. is the main regulator of bus route, right? Yes, they, they have to keep an approval first. Without the approval, you cannot serve a service. And what's the process of applying this to, I mean, judging from experience in Pasarana, right? And as a VP and in operation, like, what's the process of uh, applying new bus routes to APA? Oh, last time it's SPAD, like SPAD. Well, in detail, uh, uh, I'm I'm from the data side rather than from the operations bus operation side. However, uh, going through the uh, website of uh, APAT and of SPAD, there are standard forms for any operator to apply for uh, a route. Then it's just up to 
SPED or, or up to APAT to actually decide whether that route is acceptable to be uh, to be run. Hmm. Okay. But yeah, uh, that's uh, that is how and it they haven't changed from the time of SPD to APAT. The forms are, that I see, I just checked uh, about one month ago, it's the same as when it was in SPD. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there is a big change in manpower and big change in planning division since the change from SPAD to APAT. Planning have the, the biggest chunk that changed. They have been, uh, uh, when it was under SPAD, it was in one, uh, one organization. Now, when they split it up, you have the regulators in APAT and the planners in MOT. There are some also planners in other uh, departments. Uh, that is something that is of concern. I think uh, that is also one of the things that we are looking at uh, as part of uh, uh, transit mind, transit nation. I see. So how this organizes the the manpower, right? Oh. How how uh, how the routes are being planned? Is there any gap? All right. So here's the thing about uh, my question. One part one part of my question earlier, right? So when uh, the public transport operators or provided service providers, uh, I mean, approve be approved of bus routes or routes that they want to, uh, they be applying to. Do they need to pay a fee for that route, or just like just apply and that's it? It is a license, so there is a fee for the license. So but every route has the own license. It is a license, but it's not a concession. So they, they do not have to pay a different amount. It's just a licensing fee uh, for the license. It's just like your road, uh, your road tax license or your drive, uh, driver license, more like more like a driver license. So, yep, okay. Uh, the, the fee for the license is really for the administrative to approve rather than covering in terms of whether the, the, the route is profitable or whatever you have a higher fee for a profitable route and so on. That have not been the basis of what SPAD had done before and what APAT have been doing now. So that's what we can see from uh, from outside. And if they are int- intending it to make into a concession, uh, that's not something that they have told us. I see. So, and I just want to be clear that does this license is a pool of license or it's like every single route, for example, T three zero one route, is one license. Actually, the license is specified in the uh, in the Public Transport Act, which is the license is per bus, wow. per route. So for Prasarana, with 1,500 buses <laughs> in Klang Valley, it is 1,000, supposedly have to do 1,500 license. However, I think uh, um, based on because of Prasanna is the biggest operator and so on, they managed to get a, what they call it a network license. But in that case, the license still uh, is uh, the, the only difference is that the license is no longer have to be displayed at every bus. When I started in Prasarana back in 2000, 2000, uh, 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 2001, 
2003 rapid uh, rapid bus comes about when they started at that point the buses have to display on every single bus the license licensed by CBLB at that point there is no apart yet at the point okay no, no SPD at the point so every bus have to be licensed that is the act and that act they haven't really changed materially Mm-hmm. What they have done is just operationally they allow uh, operators to now pull the license rather than now have to display at every bus. The license previously is uh, displayed on the bus, telling you how much fare with a fare table as well and what route the bus goes about, what frequency. That basic information is still part and parcel of the uh, the application for routes under uh, under apart i see and this price right has to be justified yeah yeah so as uh, since we're talking about this licensing and since we're talking about that the bus are being uh, the information about the bus routes bus fare are all approved mm-hmm. by uh, apart mm-hmm. it's fair to, uh, to also think about the um, the uh, mobile app that we're talking about just now um, Fazli was talking about at least two apps Google Maps and and uh, Movie, Movie. Yeah. Uh, and also the RapidKL app files what haven't been mentioned is uh, another app that to me is the most important one which is My Journey app that was done by SPAD and seems apart uh oh going up my journey app have stopped running oh okay so there's no maintenance no updated nothing no, it just totally stopped running now so uh, you can't get any information now from my journey app so the my journey app itself is still there in uh, uh, in the google play store in the ios play store uh, ios uh, app store but the information is not available on it it's not running it's not showing the full information why that is something that should be asked from SPAD and from apart when are they going to do this because if you think about it journey the the uh, app information for rapid kl will be for rapid kl bus but there is only about 50% of the bus routes and the bus service in klang valley is provided by RapidKL. There is about yep. nine other operators, bus operators in Klang Valley. It's much smaller operators, of course. Yes. Uh, but some of it are quite big. Wawasan Sutra is quite big. Causeway Link is quite big. There are a few others that's quite big. But none of them are 1,500 bus. But the total number of the other buses may, may, may total out more than 1,000. Right. Uh, let me get this number right. Right, there are three million uh, population in uh, Kuala Lumpur, roughly, and there are about a thousand buses that fit commuters. Right, so and one bus is around forty to thirty, thirty to forty packs. So in a day, I mean per ride, you can only commute about thirty thousand people. <laughs> I mean, that's like a fraction of population in the in in Kuala Lumpur itself or Klang Valley, right? So, I mean, if you include Petaling Jaya, which has a total population, if I'm correct, around like five million. 
I mean, wow. I mean the rest. I mean, like KL is only got like three million, and the Klang Valley has like eight million people. It's pretty much <laughs> yeah. We got to consider the whole of Kuala Lumpur, whole of Klang Valley in general when we want to talk about the Klang Valley's public transportation system. Yeah, uh, you have to be careful about ridership. Okay, when yeah. you when we're talking about a bus, and then you are just saying uh, total population. First thing, that assumption is correct because only a percentage of the population are doing commuting every day. So then you have to cut it down to mm. commuting population. Second, is that ridership is not end-to-end. Okay, Ridership is how many people ride. If one guy ride only A to B, the other guy ride B to C, the other guy C to D, that's three riders on the same bus. And in general, a bus actually don't carry everybody from A up to Z, up to the end, from A up to the end. Mm. The bus will carry passengers all along the way. Of course, the extreme case is a rider will only go one stop. Every rider go one stop. Then you have a very big ridership on same bus compared with a bus that carries a rider from A to Z, from end to end, correct? Yes. Right. So that ridership assumption have to be really you have to really consider that information. Where are the passengers going? A to C, A to E, or what? And those information is different for every single round. Correct. Okay? So that that sort of information is what, what a big data system is supposed to do, what a journey planner system is supposed to do, what a planning system is supposed to do with both information coming from the actual and against what have been predicted or expected and having it a, having it a, in a cycle you predict it to be this and then you find that the data actual is plus something you adjust the prediction you adjust the assumption then you get a more accurate planning with a cycle of prediction against actual but if you only predict you only plan, but you don't measure, you don't use sensor to find out actual registry, actual origin and destination. You can never improve your planning. You can never improve your prediction. Hmm. So it's interesting that you mentioned the word sensor, right? Yeah. So uh, two decades ago, when you part of JKR and then you come to Pasarana, I mean, how's the evolution of sensors in front of transports? Basically, uh, the ticketing system is one of the major, major sensor for, okay. uh, for uh, public transport. Actually, that is a core. Every single uh, day, the total ridership, well, of course, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the people on the ground will be looking at the actual ridership for each of the different components or different sections that they are responsible for. But for the CEO rail, for example, total ridership for the day. He will be, he will wanting that information in real time, actual, actual up to the second, and also actual after being checked against or whatever at, uh, after at the end of the period and so on. That information is actually available internally to the public operators who are having a system like fleet tracking system having a system like a uh, 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 up-to-date uh, ticketing system. 
personal do have that. Uh, some of the other operators also do have that. So they do have information to get the ridership. And some are, some operators are even having a bit more information, which is basically when you do a ridership, uh, when you do a ticketing ridership, you are knowing only people who are who paid for your service, but people who cheated, you don't know, right? So there may be hundred people who boarded your bus, but only say maybe ninety people paid for it. So your ticketing system only know ninety. What about the other ten? Doesn't know. So you you have other normally you have additional sensors you can put in, and personal did put in also on certain buses. Passenger counting bus uh, system, infrared CCTV, uh, using LED as well uh, um, to to count number of people that goes into the bus. Uh, also, there are also other sensors like um, using the weight of the bus based on their suspension, hydraulic suspension that have a sensor in terms of pressure and so on. You can find real-time information of the weight. Uh, that is actually more, uh, more applicable to rail rolling stock because rolling stock have that information that you can estimate the number of people in a particular train, in a particular car, coach, and so on. So there are a lot of other sensors that can be, be, be used of and do be, I mean, is being made use of. Yes. Anything else? Yeah. So sensors, let, let, let me summarize that a bit. The first sensor point is, of course, the token or the, okay. the, the fare, lah, the mm. fare data, right? And the second sensor is the IVMs or the GPS. Most buses have GPS nodes, right? Um, so other than this, right, what are the sensors that could help the public transport to improve their ridership? Could, for example, let's say, does placing sensors at bus stops that monitor waiting time? Because some people stay at bus stop, they don't want to take a bus. They will wait for friends or they will wait for e-hailing and stuff right so old sensor at a bus stop will be beneficial for operators okay uh, let me answer this in two ways first okay. from the operator point of view and the other one is from the uh, passenger point of view from the operator's point of view sent, uh, it is something that they can't do not easily anyway why anything on the bus stop is out of their control. They own the, uh, the buses. They don't own the bus stops. The bus stops are owned by local authorities. More than that is that even where they have, like say the terminal, where they have people manpower there, it is a very open area, very high cost to maintain any sensors at the bus stop. Okay. So it's not something that they really want to do from the operator's point of view. Also, from the operator's point of view, information about waiting time and so on is something that they can gather from their fleet tracking system, from their, fleet tracking, uh, from their ticketing system to find out if there is no passenger boarding, then the bus stop is empty, of course, correct? If the bus waited, stopped at a bus stop a long time, and then there are many people boarding at that bus, until that a second bus comes along, still the first bus is, uh, is not uh, is not full, then 
it means that bus stop is open, uh, that bus stop is overcrowded, of course, lah. Right? Is that is just indirect information? They could, in fact, some operators, but not in Malaysia, some operators put CCTV on top of sorry external CCTV in the bus, on the bus, so the bus can see actually the bus stop. That information now is available to the operator to do further information, further processing if they want. Just like they have CCTV now on the bus to to gather information from within the bus. So, for the operators, sensors within the bus is something that within their portfolio. Sensors on the bus stop is something difficult because even to get the power for the sensors on the bus stop is really a big, big issue. That is what was faced by uh, Rapid when they tried and when they did do about 80 bus stop with passenger information at the bus stop. They paid for it. They paid for it. They have to alliance with the authorities to find, to get the, uh, to get the approval and to whatever else to be able to put the, what they call it, the passenger information display at selected bus stop. Some of the bus stops are quite remote. Like one of the bus stops that I, I see often is the bus stop just below the old EPF building. There is a bus stop there with a very nice LED telling when the next bus stop that was put up by uh, Prasanna Repikel. A uh, few other bus stops, about 80 bus stops. Yep, sensors like that can help the passenger because the from the passenger point, key from the passenger point, they want to know when the bus will arrive, how long they need to wait. They can of course call up, but then you cannot call up every one minute, right? But if it, there is a display telling the bus will be arriving in 10 minutes and then that display is updated every 30 seconds. That really helps uh, the user to be comfortable to wait. Yes, that passenger information display that's at the bus stop very useful, except to the operator, it is something that very costly that they have done once and they don't intend to do anymore. Understand. As far as I know. All right. Unless someone is offering it for free. Lah. In fact, actually, nowadays, mm -hmm. this is why, I mean, when, when they started doing the passenger information display, this is about a uh, year, around year 2010, about almost 10 years, 10, 11 years ago. At that time, smartphone is very low usage, right? Yes. Now, yes. if I guess that at least the, uh, the bus passengers that have smartphone, maybe 80% to 90%. What do you think? More, less, but it's certainly more than 50%. That I'm yes, I think 70% is a valid number. Yeah, 70, 80, or maybe even 90. <laughs> Why I say 90? Because when I go into the bus, I just count, see who, who are holding <laughs> the phone. Uh, then, I mean, yeah. that, that's my uh, uh, my habit when I go in on, on a bus. All right. All right. With a smartphone, the cost, capex cost, as well as the operator operational cost is very, very low to provide exactly the same information for the passenger. And in fact, with a smartphone, the information could be even higher quality than the passenger information display. Because the passenger information display can only show the bus at 
that's coming to that particular bus stop. Mm-hmm. But a journey planner app like the My Journey app, like the Pulse app, like the Movit app, is able to tell the passenger all the rest of the information. In other words, if he intend to go from A to B and he is from A to D and he is at bus stop B, he can get information about C and D from yes. the app. Okay? So the app itself can also infect while let's say he's on the bus, inform him when he come to the right bus stop with an alarm. Right? Mm. So even he was to say maybe he was drowsy, so he's not paying attention, he will have an alarm telling him when he arrived at bus stop. Those are the information that can be done in the app and is been done in the app and is available in Movit, is available in a few other apps. So really, if you want to fight for information for the passenger, we need to fight for availability of the data to these apps, not just to Movit, not just to Google Maps, not just to Pulse and My Journey, but to other apps that do those extra features as well. Pretty much open data. All right. So we talk about bus route, we talk about token and sensors, right? Now let's talk about the park and ride. So not many uh, rail station have park and ride, right? And we do know that uh, most Malaysian, I mean, that you just showed in the pandemic, car sales increase, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, it means that more and more people like to have their own vehicle. So it's kind of like contradict to whatever that the, the city councils or the governments or the public operator are saying that, hey, come right, public transport, right? Mm. So we see the number just now that the number of buses seems doesn't tally with ridership or even tally with the population count. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how about part and ride? I mean, does building more part and rides will attract people to ride public transports or how? Okay. Uh, let's take, I, I'll, I'll take my personal example, which is Klanu Jai Line, I, I stay in Klan when I was working in KL. Uh, Klanu Jai Line only up to Klanu Jaya. So Putra Heights is not yet extended to Putra Heights. So the only way I can take the Klanu Jaya Line, I will have to drive to Klanu Jaya and park at Klanu Jaya. I do, I, do, I do that at that point in time, driving to Klanu Jaya or uh, driving to um, uh, further down to Taman Bahagia and so on. For me to take the uh, take the train up to KL Central or up to Bangsa, okay. So in that case, the park and ride at Klanajaya, park and ride at Taman Bahagia is very critical and does provide a lot of incentive for people to take the Klanajaya line because they can park and then they don't have to go through the traffic up to the city center. They can take the train the rest of the way to the city center. Yes, park and ride works. And when they extended the park and ride, they extended the Klanu Jaya line up to Putra Heights. They, they put a lot of park and ride facility at Putra Heights, at Taman Alamega, uh, along uh, up to say USJ 21. They have park and ride facility and so on. Each, each one of those, some of them are very very successful some of them are a bit less 
because of the condition of it. For example, the USJ21 have a multi-story car park, but because the distance that you have to walk to the uh, sta- uh, to the station and also because of the access for you to get to that USJ21 car park, it's a bit bit more convoluted, convoluted, um, less used. But you can see Alamega, you can see Putra Heights, it's fully used. Uh, during the pandemic, I'm not too sure uh, how full, but uh, do, before uh, the pandemic, yes, it is 100% full. Okay, it may not be as successful as in Gomba. It it is certainly more successful than in Ampang Station, where the park and ride is much less. So the park and ride is successful where there are a lot of people wanting to go the direction that the rest of the train is going to. So you then park at the nearest station to your origin. Your destination is the city center. But if your destination is not served by the line, like maybe is what's the example of Ampang, Ampang line. Most people in Ampang, their destination, or a lot of people in Ampang, their destination is KLCC to work. But the Ampang line, doesn't go to KLCC. Ampang line from Ampang goes to Pandan Indah, goes to Chang Saolin, goes to Masjid, uh, 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 goes to uh, Pas- uh, pa- Pasar Seni, and then nowhere in nowhere there it is actually KLCC. See, so it's actually it depends on the location. It depends on the demand, the origin, destination, requirement, demand by the passenger for where the park and ride will work. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more updates, follow us on our socials at Rika Studios.